Hey, make a little big noise. Excited to be in the house. Man, it is so good to see you guys. I love worshiping with our church family. We want to welcome everybody on our Ashland campus, everybody online as well, as we we're in this series called Seven. Last week, we called it an audible, and we just kind of addressed some of the current events that happened in our world. And so if you missed last week, please go back and watch that. Um, I mean, I've never in my lifetime thought that, honestly, that Jesus could return in my lifetime. I know he could, but I really never just thought about it. But the more I've been studying uh, Bible prophecy and teaching what we've been teaching on Wednesday nights, and I told my sons this week, I said, man, listen, I never thought I would see it in my lifetime, but you very well could see it in yours. And they've always thought that for the last 2,000 years, um, but uh, it's this really exciting time to be alive uh, right now to see the biblical prophecies being fulfilled, and I hope and pray that it encourages your faith and it strengthens your faith as you begin to open up the Bible and see what's taking place right in front of us, that it would show you that God's word is true and it can be trusted. And, and because of that, last week, we saw over 20 people give their life to Jesus. Come on, man, I mean, that is just amazing to see what God is doing right here with us. And we love to invite you on Wednesday night to be part of the end time study we've been talking through last week. I think last Wednesday with kids, youth, and adults, we had over 400 people here just learning about what's going to happen in the end times. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. People are just, you know, want to hear more about that, and especially a lot of what's taking place right in front of us. So let's continue to pray for Israel and for Jerusalem and for peace. And I was talking yesterday to one of my Messianic Jew friends uh, who actually fought in the uh, Yom Kippur War, and he, uh, he, he was just crying the whole time we was on the phone. He said he hasn't looked, been able to see for the last 10 days because his eyes are filled with, with his tears, and he actually was on the front line in the Yom Kippur War. He told me, he said, he asked his general, could you put me on the front line when we fight? This is the 1967 war, and his mom begged him, says, please, Theo, please do not go on the front line. He said, Mom, but if I don't go on the front line, how can I tell my comrades, my soldiers beside me about Yeshua? And so I gotta go tell them about Jesus while we're fighting on the front line. And I'm trying my best to get him to come up. He's in North Carolina. Uh, he doesn't travel much now, but I was trying to get him to come up here and be with us on a Wednesday night and just kind of pick his brain and, and open up our eyes from an from a Israeli Jew who actually fought in the war, who's what we're seeing right now back in 1967. So if we can make that happen, we're gonna try our best to do that. And if so, I will definitely keep you in the loop because if God doesn't intervene, folks, right on our back doorstep right here is World War III. And we just need to be alert. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to be afraid, we just need to be alert and, and be conscious of what's going on and, and quit just playing church, but be the church that God's called us to be. And that's fact that that's exactly what series we're in right now and this series called Seven, as we look at the seven letters to the seven churches here in the book of Revelation. So grab your Bible, and let's go to Revelation chapter one, and we're gonna start there uh, just in a moment. But you know, a lot of people, like they just stay away from the book of Revelation, like, come on, man, it's, it's God's word, it's the whole council, we gotta preach, teach, talk through this stuff. I've been wanting to teach this probably for the last, I think I looked, said two years, but last about the four years, I've been wanting to teach through these seven churches, and uh, three or four months ago when we planned this series out, who would have thought that this would happen right in front of our eyes, what's taking place? I went and looked at my notes, and the last time that I preached to the seven churches in the book of Revelations uh, was back in July 2005, so it's been 18 years uh, since I talked through and walked through this, these churches. And so we're long overdue, and today we're gonna jump into this. So who is the author of the book of Revelation? Well, the author is Jesus. Like, the whole book should be in red lettering. 
because it's Jesus who shared with an angel and dictated to the angel to go tell the apostle John, and the apostle John becomes the scribe and writes down what he hears, what's being told to him. So Jesus is the author, the angel is the dictator, and John is the scribe, and this was written roughly about 65 years after Jesus ascended to the Father. So he was crucified 40 days later, or he got up out of the grave three days later. 40 days after that, he was risen and ascended to the heavens. And about 65 years later, the apostle John pins this letter to the churches. Now, the apostle John, if you remember, was at the foot of the cross. He was actually there when Jesus was being crucified. If you remember, he says, John, this is my mother. Take care of her. And so the apostle John... I believe was the youngest of the apostles of that time, actually took in Jesus' mother Mary and took care of her for the rest of her life. And they tried to kill John and the, die, and the guy just wouldn't die. Like he could not die, uh, that, that history tells us. And so they finally just say, who put him on an island by himself called Patmos. And so they put him on an island by himself. And while he's stranded on this island by himself, he's caught up into the third heavens. He's caught up and Jesus reveals to him 65 years later, after he ascended, the things that are and the things that are about to happen. So let's start really in verse one and let's walk through this. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let's stop, that word revelation is apocalypse. Now when you think of apocalypse, you automatically think of like a movie and a battle and, and all this stuff, but the word apocalypse just means to be revealed. It means to uncover. So the book of Revelation is the apocalypse, it's the uncovering of what Jesus says. It's, the un, it's revealing what Jesus is telling us is to come. So don't get caught up in that word revelation. It means just to unveil, like to show us what's to come. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his bondservant, that's the John, the things which must soon take place. He sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant. Now he sent a messenger to John to tell them what's about to happen. Verse two, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, everything that he saw. Now, this is what's fascinating. You're about to be blessed today. In fact, look at the person sit beside you and say, you're gonna get blessed today. Tell them right now, say, you're gonna get blessed today. Tell them, you're gonna get blessed. Go ahead, Ashlyn, tell them right now, you're gonna get blessed. And let me tell you why you're gonna get blessed, because of what's about to say next. It says right here in verse three, blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, just by you hearing the book of Revelation. Now think about it, not just reading it, but hearing it, you will be blessed. And he goes on and says, and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. And folks, I'm telling you, the time has never been closer than today. I told it to my son, he goes, uh, Dad, obviously that's true because every day we get closer. I said, son, but you don't know, the time is near. If you are blessed, if you read these words, hear these words, and keep the words that are written in this book. But so who is the book of Revelation written to? Well, we know contextually is written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Look at verse four. John says, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and is to come, which is Jesus. From the seven spirits who are before his throne. Verse 11, skip down to verse 11. I'm using the New American Standard Version in case you follow with me. Saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it where? So the whole book of Revelation, write on the scroll, send it to the seven churches. Who's the seven churches? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Theratyre, Sardis, Philadelphia, 
and Laodiceus. Now I have a map of this just to show you to put it in perspective. This is modern day Turkey is where he's writing these letters. So if you look up here, you can see Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon and Theratyra and, and uh, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Now the reason he gave them in this order is because what you're seeing in modern day Turkey today, this is where the letters of the churches are going to. These are real churches, real Christian, real people, is because this is the, the, the way of the mail route. So the mail, when you wrote a letter, deliver the mail, it would start in the city of Ephesus and it would work its way around all the way to Laodicea. So the order of the church, because some believe that these are, we're living in the seven church age and right now we're living in the Laodicea age, which is the lukewarm age. There's nowhere in the Bible and there's nowhere in this text and there's nowhere implied in this text that the, that the church age is in seven different stages and we're living in the last one. That's nowhere in the Bible. But some people just kind of get caught up in that and that's, that's cool, that's their prerogative, they want to think. But this is the reason why these are the letters the reason why it's this way is because it's the mail route. <laughs> that's the way this, the, the mail truck went. They didn't have trucks, but the wagon. And that's the way that it went to get to the cities. And right off the island, of, right off Turkey is a little bitty island called Patmos. And it's in that island he writes these letters. Go down to verse 19. It says, therefore write, what's, what's, what's John supposed to write? This is what Jesus told him to do. Write the things which you have seen and the things that which are, this is very important, and the things which will take place after these things. So here's what John writes. Write the things that are now, this is 2,000 years ago, and write the things that will be. I believe Revelations chapter one, two, and three are things that are. He's writing to seven churches, seven real churches, seven real problems in these churches that we can apply from our life. He's writing to what's are, and in chapter four on are the things to come. For the next six weeks, we're gonna be looking at chapters two and three. If you wanna do your homework, go ahead and read Revelation chapter two and three. We're gonna look at the things that are according in the context of this passage. And then on Wednesday nights, we've been studying the things to come, what is going to, Revelation chapter four and on. So if that intrigues you, you wanna be part of it, we'd love for you to be here. It's not just for our church family. Invite anybody you wanna come, family, friends, who wanna be part of that. And then verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, this is Jesus, I had seven stars in my right hand holding the seven golden lampstands. So you see these seven stars and lampstands, people are like, right there, I can't interpret the Bible and I don't know what he's talking about. Well, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Keep reading, it says the seven stars are what? The angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here's what we know. The seven stars are the leaders. It says angels. Now, I believe that Satan, obviously, is not omnipresent. He, can't be, he only can be at one place at one time. He's a created being, he can't be everywhere. But he has demons and fallen angels who do his bidding. I believe it's a sophisticated, organized, he's very smart at this, he knows this. In fact, if you go read Daniel, and Daniel, they begin to pray, and the Bible says that God heard your prayer and answered his prayer, but the archangel said it took me 21 days to come and tell you the answer to your prayer because I were fighting the spiritual battle in the air. The guardian of the city was battling me to get to you. Folks, we better wake up. You're in a spiritual battle, in a warfare. With this, that I believe that the enemy has his demonic forces over cities, over places, over governments, over the world. And it, it would not even surprise me if there is one that's even been assigned to this city of Moorhead, who's above, who does everything he can to pull down the name of God, do everything he can to, to, to destroy your life. 
And in Revelation, it says there'll be 200 million with, at the end with Satan. You know who the 200 million are? I don't believe they're the humans. These are the demonic forces that will come with him in the battle of Armageddon. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. Come back on Wednesday nights. We're talking about that stuff. And it will be those who will come with them. But we are in a spiritual battle. So the seven angels, the word angel just means messenger. And so what he's trying to say is this. I'm gonna write the seven letters to the seven pastors that lead the seven churches in Asia Minor. Real pastors, real churches with real problems that's in modern day Turkey today. And he said, so the angels of the church is the messenger of the church. The messenger is the one who delivers the word of God. So he's letting the pastor, he's writing these letters to the pastor to share with the flock, with the congregation, things that are happening and things that are to come. And so as we jump into this, we realize we get the first letter here and it goes to Ephesus, which is the first route of the mail truck. So guess what? I'm the pastor of the church. I'm, I'm picturing my mind. Actually, Timothy is pastoring Ephesus right now. You remember Paul and Timothy? Timothy's the pastor at, of Ephesus at this time. And all of a sudden, you get a knock on the door and guess what? You get a letter. Where's my Blues Clues fan? We just got a letter. We just got a letter, right? I mean, we got a letter. Like, oh my gosh. It's like, here's a letter to your church, pastor. Great, who's it from? Jesus. What? Jesus wrote us a letter, and so what would happen is we know this, is that the pastor would get up and he would read the letter, like when the Apostle Paul wrote to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he would get it to the churches, and he would stand up and he would read what Paul wrote, and then he would take the letter and he passed to the next pastor, and the pastor would read to their house church and that house church and to all the churches in the city. So now I'm the pastor. If I'm the pastor, I say, oh my gosh, I got a letter from King Jesus. Come on, Ephesus, and I call the church together. You ain't gonna believe this. Jesus wrote us a letter. And so everybody comes in and goes, what did King Jesus say to us? Now, the letter is the whole book of Revelation. The letter is the whole entire book. But the seven churches got to hear what Jesus had to say to each individual church. He commended them, then he rebuked them and correct them, and then he told them how they can fix the problems. So these are real churches with real issues. And the first one is Ephesus. So you open up the letter and you read Revelation chapter one, then all of a sudden you get to chapter Two. So turn with me to chapter two. That was all introduction. So if you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here we go. Chapter two. The pastor stands up, grabs the scroll, rolls it out, reads to the body, the congregation, what King Jesus has to say to us. He says this in verse one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, believed to be messenger, believed to be the pastor of that lampstand, which is that church, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. Now, stop right there just for a moment. This was amazing. I want you to, Jesus is in control. It's in his right hand. He's in control of the churches. It's in his right hand. And don't miss, he walks amongst them. Listen to me. Jesus is here today. You are in his presence. You're not in my presence, a worship service presence. It's not a building. He is here. He promises. He is with us. And there was going to come a day where he's going to remove the church, remove his spirit from this world. And could you imagine when God's presence not here? You think it's bad now? It's going to get a lot worse. And so I'm going to write to the church of Ephesus, which is an amazing city. The church of Ephesus in this place was crazy. It was the most prominent city in Asia Minor. It had the Temple of Diana, 
of Artemis, which is the seventh wonder of the world. It seated 24,000 people. 24,000 people would come and sit in the Colosseum. And they didn't have a microphone, man. And they would speak and people would hear. But this was a fertility gog, and so there was a lot of sexual activity going on. In fact, there were temple prostitutes. And guys back then, most guys didn't miss church because they would go to the temple and they would sleep with the prostitute because they thought what they were doing was holy. And so could you imagine, you're in this city and the Apostle Paul in his second missionary journey says, let's plant a church next to the temple where the men and the prostitute and everyone is so sexual all over the place that you have to hold your kids' eyes. Like this place would make Las Vegas blush, y'all. And that shouldn't shock us because a lot of things, that like people don't blush anymore. That's how numb we are to sin. We don't even blush anymore. We kind of laugh about it, like, well, that's your prerogative. Do what you want to do. This, this was a very messed up city. It was very wealthy. It was a good trademark. But the apostle Paul said, we got to plant a church here. And he planted Ephesus. And the book of Ephesians is to the church of Ephesus. Another whole story. Read Acts chapter 19. And so we sit right here. This is a great church. Great things are taking place. Pastor Timothy is now the pastor of this place. And Jesus begins to throw bouquets at the church. Like Ephesus was the church of the year. Like if you ever wanted to be a member of a church, this was the church. Because this church is killing it. Listen to what he says. Look at what he says. Verse two. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I see your work. I know your labor, your perseverance. And you cannot tolerate evil people. You cannot tolerate sin in your presence. And you've put those who call themselves apostles to the test. And they are not, and you found them to be false. Here's what he said. First of all, man, you are a dynamic church, y'all. You guys are killing it. I know your deeds. I see how you serve in the community. I see how you bless people. I see how you help people. In fact, most churches spend their entire existence in maintenance mode, not mission mode. You guys are on mission mode. Most churches, they just maintain what somebody else started. I've decided that when we planted this church, we're not gonna be a maintenance church. We're not gonna just maintain it. We're gonna have a movement. We wanna be missional. We wanna be on mission in all that we do in this community and in this region. And so we're sitting here looking at church. You got the deeds, man. You are doing amazing and you are so dynamic. And then he goes on and says, and you're dedicated. You work so hard. In fact, that word labor means to toll. It means that you work to the point of exhaustion. You are going out and you're witnessing people at the temple prostitutes. You're worshiping at the men who are walking that place. You're all over Ephesus and this place. You're, you are working hard. In fact, some of you know this. We have people right now in our church who work 40 to 60 hours a week at their job and then they still come and they serve on Wednesday nights and on Sunday, the body of Christ, so that you would have a place to come in and worship. And because of people like them, and people who sacrificially give in generosity. Over 20 people gave their life to Jesus like we, watch this, because they're working, they're tired, they're exhausting for King Jesus, but they know that it will make a difference. And so I think at all of our campus right now, we should just stop and let's just thank God for everyone who serves you. They serve you. And you get to be part of a church. Watch this, you are dynamic, you're dedicated, and man, you are killing it. But not that, you're so determined because you will persevere. It says you persevered and you will stand against all temptation and all trials. I know, listen, I know it's tough, bro, when you walk by that temple prostitute and she's asking you and begging you to come into the princess and, and to Diana's temple and Artemis and you don't do that, way to go, man, way to persevere. This is what King Jesus is saying to the church. 
You're killing it. You're doing great. You're determined. And you're going to make sure that you, when trials and temptation comes, you're going to win. But not only that, you are disciplined because you can't tolerate evil people. When sin happens in the church, you call it out. This church practiced church discipline. When there was public sin, they dealt with it. Now, we're not sin police. We don't go around and look at people's stuff. In fact, it doesn't matter. You can see what they do, just get on their Facebook, okay? And like, we're not sin police. We're not here to decide to try to find your sin. But when sin is pointed out and public sin's pointed out, we're obligated to deal with it. And we have over the last 16 years. When public sin of people who have served or called themselves members of our church, we've called them in. How can we love you through this? How can we help you? But we're gonna call out your sin. Why? Because God will not bless a church with sin in its midst that is not dealt with. Can we deal with everything? No, we don't know. There's secret stuff. We don't know. But when it's public in the body, you've got to deal with it. We've been called to do that. This church was killing. It was so determined. It was so disciplined. It would not tolerate sin in its midst. And on top of that, they had the doctrine right. They were doctrinally sound, and they were a discerning church because here's what happens. It says, we noticed that when people came to you and said they were prophets, you tested them, and you realized they were false. Why? Because men were going around going, the apostles have laid their hands on us, and they've given us authority into the church now. And because we have authority, you should accept us as apostles. Well, the Christians in Ephesus are like, wait, 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 wait. We're going to test this. We're going to see what you're saying if it's true to what God's word has already said. And they found them to be false. Listen, this church could smell out false teaching, false prophets, because they were doctrinally sound. They had it all figured out. And then on top of that, they were driven. They were driven to make it happen. Look at verse 3. You, you, and you who perseverance, you've persevered, you've endured on account of my name, and you have not become weary because you are driven to make the kingdom of God come in this region and in this city. Man, you are amazing. Now, this is a church you wanna be part of. I mean, they had the right behavior, they had the right belief, and now could you imagine Timothy? He's sitting there going, man, could you believe that King Jesus called us? Like, we're the church of the year, man. Like, he's throwing bouquets at us. You remember, I'm so proud of you for resisting that temptation. And, and Sarah, I'm so thankful for you that you go and you help those widows and those orphans. Jesus sees your deeds. He knows exactly everything that you do. And I can see right now the church goes, come on, let's just give King Jesus a clap of a praise. And everybody starts praising, yes, King Jesus, King Jesus. And he's okay, okay, let's keep reading. He, he gets the letter and he goes to verse four and he goes, snap. But, but what? Look what he says. But I have this against you. Like, what do you mean? the church of the year. I have this against you that you have left your first love. I mean, this was the church. Listen, they had everything right. They had the right behavior. They had the right beliefs. But it's all on the wrong basis. They're doing it with the wrong motives. This is the church, right? It's not, this is what the church we try to belong to. I wanna go to church that's the right doctrine, right belief. I wanna find a church that's the right behavior. We call out sin, we look down on sin, and we do our very best to be squeaky clean. 
but then you do it all for the wrong reason. Folks, this was 2,000 years ago. And it speaks to us exactly today. I wanna find a church that sound doctrine, great, but listen, I wanna find a church that looks like me, talks like me, votes like me, believes like me, and acts like me, or I will not be part of it. And so many people and Christians pride themselves on their behavior. Hey, I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm not bad as her, but you know, bad as him, but I'm pretty good. Look how good I am. The belief, they'll debate you over every doctrine, they know the Bible, they know the Greek and the Hebrew, and they know it backwards and forwards, and they speak with authority, and they pride themselves on their knowledge and their behavior. But Jesus knows everything. And he says, but I've got this against you. See, this is a church we would want to be part of. I've got this against you. You've got distracted with living right, and you've got just distracted with believing right that you forgot how to love right. And folks, I believe this is the church today. When your relationship is nothing but a ritual now. Your relationship with Jesus is nothing but a ritual because you know it's just what you should do. What you were once devoted about, now it's just a duty. We planted the church and we were portable for nine and a half years and people were so devoted, they'd get up at 6.30, 5.30 in the morning and take a lighter and they would sit there and unfreeze a lock on a trailer for 10 minutes so they could get a key in it to go to a school to set up an entire gymnasium because they had no idea who was gonna show up. They did not know, would this be the day that 20, 30, 40, 50 people show up? Would this be the day that 20, 30, 40 people get saved? And they were so devoted. And they couldn't believe they told me, I get to do this, I get to be part of a movement. Now could this become a duty in our life? Come on, honey, we gotta go serve now. We gotta get back over here because, you know, I mean, they, they depend on us now, so we gotta go because I told them I'd be there and I can't t call again. I called in last week and told them because you wanted to go to the lake, so I can't do it this week, so we can't skip church this week, so I've signed up and I've gotta do it. And what was your devotion now become number the duty? This is the church. This is that church. What used to be a matter of your heart is now just a habit. I get up and read my Bible, why? Because I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. Check mark, I did Jesus today, read about Jesus today, checked it off, now let's go. Hey, Sunday, I just come to church. Why, it's just a habit, it's just a habit. It's what you're supposed to do, right? Check church off, let's go. And you let the message go in one ear and out the other. What was a matter of your heart is nothing but a habit. What was your passion? You were so passionate about it, it's now nothing but a project. And what was a savior when you were lost and you were now found has nothing now become a system for you to follow. This is the church. You believe right, you behave right, but you don't love right. And that's what I see the most. So what do you do? <laughs> how, how do I fix that? because I don't care where you find yourself today, every one of those things is speaking to us. Even as a pastor, I'm not preaching at you. It's so easy to say, I'm a full-time ministry. 
I eat and breathe this stuff. And what I could have been devoted is nothing but my duty. What was a passion is nothing but a project for a sermon for you. And I become a full-time Christian and a part-time follower of Jesus. That if I'm not careful, I can say what tickles your ears versus what does the master want me to speak into your life? What sounds good versus what you need to hear? You see how easy we become right belief, right behavior, cold heart, out of duty, not devotion. So how do I fix it? I'm so thankful that Jesus tells the church at Ephesus how to do this. Look what he says in verse five. Therefore, therefore what? That you've left your first love. Look what he says, therefore, Remember where you've fallen, repent. I'm gonna put an R here to keep the R's rolling. Redo the deeds that you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand. What's the lampstand? I'll remove the church. I will take the influence that you have, the beacon, the light you're supposed to be to the temple, Diana, to the, to the temple prostitute, to the guys who are going. I'm gonna remove your influence from that region because you're not doing it with the pure heart. So you remember, repent, and redo. Now think about it. There's something about, there's something, first thing he says is to remember. Isn't there something amazing about memories? Isn't there something amazing? Like my phone right now, my phone knows everything about it. My phone right now knows that I am dying for a cup of coffee. I, I know it knows that. And, and I'm sure Alexa's gonna have it ready for me as soon as I get back there. Like, I mean, I just know. Like, isn't it amazing how... And you're sitting there next day, no, you, and you pop up and it pops up a memory and it shows like your 2018 vacation. And next thing you know, I'm sitting, I click on it and I watch all the memories and I start crying because my kids are all little and now it's seven years later. I see how they're growing. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, I look, I look so young back then. No, what am I, and you look at the and the memories, what this provoke this emotion within you. You remember what it was like during that time. And I believe he wants us to remember because I think that's the problem with the church is that the church has gotten over the cross. You forgot what it was like when you were lost. You forgot what it was like that night when Jesus reached down out of the muck and the mire and he pulled you out of your sin. So what does Jesus tell the church of Ephesus? Remember, hey, remember, bro, when you used to go into the temple and you sleep with the prostitute and you left her not feeling dirty and guilty and shameful, but you knew something was wrong morally, but you still did it? You remember when I introduced you to Jesus and he radically changed your life and all that guilt and all that shame and all that was gone? You remember that time when you met him? Listen to me, man. Remember when you were one of the prostitutes at the temple and you were sleeping with every man that came in, but someone came out and they loved you and they told you about Jesus. He has a better life for you and you gave your life to Jesus and all that guilt, all that shame and all that damaged good thought was gone. Remember that? See, that's the problem. You've gotten over your salvation. Church, you gotta remember what it was like. Remember when you met Jesus, whether you were seven years old at a church camp, but it didn't become real to you until you were 16 in high school, or if it was last week, you were one of the 20 that gave your life to Jesus. Remember? And that's one thing I vow to always put in front of me. I wasn't saved till I was 20 years old, is to never, ever get over 
the grace that God extended to me. Remember what it was like when you were first saved. And then he says, repent. Repent means to turn, it means to change. It's made of two compound words, two Greek words. To, to call, to turn, knowledge, which means your mind. It's also a sudden stop and turn. It's not like, hey, I'm going this way. Someday I'm gonna turn around and go back that way. Someday I'm gonna repent. Someday, you know, I think I'm repenting. I'm trying to repent. I'm trying to repent. I'm trying to repent. Repent means this. I stop and then I turn. And what does it say to turn? It turns your mind. Why? Because this is the battlefield. I turn my mind to the knowledge of God. And when I turn my mind to God, it shifts my heart to God, which shifts my feet to God. How do I know that I truly repented of a sin? I stop doing it. So he says, repent. And this is what's so amazing. You ready for this? Every single one of you can repent right now. And it's not a one-time thing that happens just when you get saved. Some of us need to repent, says, God, I've made following you a duty, a system, a habit, a check mark. I have the right behavior and the right belief, but my heart is cold. Restore the joy of my salvation. Restore my heart back for you. And then he says, and the third, he must have been Baptist because there were three, and it could have been with R here. Look what he says in verse three. I mean, look what he says, the third thing, redo. Remember where you've fallen from when Jesus radically saved you. Repent, now turn your mind back towards him. And then redo the deeds, redo what you used to do. Now, I'll never forget the time I met my wife, and I always tell, I share the story all the time, you know, stuff with her, but I, I met her, and, and uh, I saw her on a Thursday, and, but I never really talked to her, and then I saw her again on a Tuesday, and I was going up to the steps at the BCM, and she was coming down the steps, and, you know, back, you know, I was like, man, you just gotta get your game face on, and here you go, you only, I only been saved for a, a, a week now, and so here she comes coming down the steps, and man, it's like this angel just flying, floating, and I couldn't even get my game face on, man. I was like, and I, I, I stumbled and said hi, and she said hi, and she stopped, and, and I, I was so like caught off guard that I didn't even ask her her name, and that's just not like me, man. I'm like, I'm like yo, what's up, girl? What's up? I, I, was like, I was like off of it, man, and, and, and she goes, well, my name is Leanne, and I said, well, my name is Daniel, and then I, I went and tried to find every Leanne I could find that was from McGoffin County, didn't know her last name and all that stuff, and, and then I found her number, and I called her on Wednesday, and I said, hey, what's up? And she was like, who is this? I'm like, hey, this is Daniel. Like, oh, hey, I said, hey, you wanna go to FCA tonight? And she's like, no. She said, but you can come pick me up tomorrow night for Bible study. So I went and picked her up and went to Bible study and, and in that moment I knew this is the girl I want to spend the rest of my life with. And you gotta understand, we're completely opposite. Like I'm a hellion, she's an angel. Like, you know, I had to get rid of 99% of my vocabulary and all my CDs. If you don't know what a CD is, it's something back in the 1900s, round discs, we kind of put it in a, in, a, in a machine if you don't know what that is. And like, here's a girl who never said a cuss word in her life, you know, born in church, been to church her whole life, hellion meets this angel. And like, I've been saved for weeks, she's been saved for all, it's just crazy. And I was like, this girl I spent the rest of my life with. Took her out on that Friday, it was over, it was over. I already knew, this is a girl. And you know what happens, right, when you fall in love? 
You cannot help but spend time with them. You can't help but to talk to them. You can't help but when to get to know them. You can't help. And we, we, we got married, and, and we finally got married. We've been married 24 years, and, and we, we got married, and uh, we, we were so broke, we did like two timeshares, you know, you, the ones you have to go tell people no, and they try your best to give them and say no, because so, you just got the discount. Don't judge me. You do the same thing. And so I, I did that, and, and we, we were sitting in this little hot tub, we was, and this older couple's over there and looked at us and said, you got, you're newlyweds, aren't you? I said, how can you tell? And she said, I can see how you look at her. I can see how you look at each other. And she said, oh, by the way, your rings are so shiny. And she went on and talked about her, her marriage and, and how awesome it was. And that's not the norm, right? Because when you just get married and somebody says, well, how, <laughs> you've been married for a week. Well, how's marriage life? <laughs> seven days has been pretty good. You know, like, how, what do you mean? It's been seven days. And then you'll meet people and hear what they'll say, I give it a few years. I'm like, is it that bad? I mean, that's, hey, how's marriage? Hey, just give it a few more years. And what I realize is I'm still doing now, if not more, what I used to do when I just met my wife. I mean, she'll tell you to this day, I can't keep my hands off her. I told her she's beautiful. I affirm her. I love her. I adore her. And she knows it. My marriage is hotter today than it's ever been in my entire life. That is a choice. You are as hot as you want to be in your relationship. In the same way, what is it? You go redo. Remember when you met Jesus and what happened? You went to every church service and you never complained that it went over. You read your Bible for hours because you wanted to get to know Jesus. You showed up at every revival. You served at every camp. You went to everything you could get your hands on because you were in love with Jesus. What happened? What happened? Because Jesus didn't move. That's the church he's talking to. You're so concerned about right belief and right behavior, you're doing it with the wrong motives. And I believe that's what's happened to the church today. We're so concerned about doctrine and how we live that we do it for the wrong reason, not our devotion, but our duty. I don't sin because I don't wanna get caught versus because I love Jesus so much that he's already forgiven me. See the difference? Why do you do what you do? And that is the heartbeat what Lord is looking at in this church. So remember, repent, and redo. Remember you were once lost and then you were found. That once you were blind, but yet God opened your eyes and now you can see. What changed? What changed? And here's what he says to the church. You can start all over again and you can go back and do this again. Because you gotta remember, it was him who first loved us before we loved him. And then he goes on and says, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks about the Nicolaitans, but he says right here in verse six, but you have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans and we'll talk about that. These groups, you're trying to have authority over everybody. He says, which I also hate. And then he says, and this is my prayer for you today, verse seven, those who have an ear, please let them hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. What's the Spirit saying to the churches today? To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Don't have time to jump in, but it's amazing. Genesis chapter two and three, we see in the beginning, God has a tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge and God expels them. 
at the bookend of the Bible, right back at the beginning. And here's what God says. If you will overcome the tree that I was gonna allow you to eat from and you did not eat from, watch this, I'm gonna allow you to eat from the tree of life where you'll be in my presence in the new Jerusalem for all eternity. We'll talk about that, about the end times. But it's so amazing how the Bible is so true. And we'll be spend eternity with King Jesus. So my prayer today is that you will listen what the Spirit is trying to say to you and then be obedient. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment, just for a moment here. Two invitations, first one. You're not here by mistake. The presence of Jesus is here. He's drawing you to himself. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to repent and give your life to Jesus. I beg you, I can't save you. If I could, I would. I beg you. I beg you. Before it's eternally too late. Because the day is drawing nigh. My pastor, there's no way God can forgive me. You don't understand what I've said when I try. Don't forget about the temple prostitutes. Don't forget about the men who would go and thought they were doing the right thing and realize they won't. What did God, God forgave them. And the same is true for you. How do I do it then? Well, the Bible says is, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever's whoever. And right where you sit, you can cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And right now, I repent of my sin and put my faith and trust in you. And if that's you, right now, you could cry to him. And if you did, please, I beg you, go to the next step area so we can help you in your journey. Remember what I was talked about when you just got saved? You wanna learn about Jesus who saved you? We wanna help you. Just go to the next step here and say, man, I just gave my life to the Lord. What do I, what's my next step? And then for the church, listen to me. Jesus wrote a specific, specific letter 2,000 years ago that applies to us today. You may have great behavior and you may have great doctrine, but you're doing it on the wrong basis. If the Spirit has spoke to you this morning, here's what I want you to do. Remember when he saved you. Turn from whatever's distracted you and turn back to him and redo the things you used to do when you first gave your life to Jesus. Father, thank you so much for your word. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, and it still speaks to us today. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that our ears are open to you as you speak to the churches. God, as the, we see the signs pointing of you coming back, may we be ready, Lord. But not only ready, may we be active and sharing and bringing and preaching and telling that Jesus is coming and we better get ready. And Father, I pray for your people, Israel. Psalms 122, as I read this morning, says, pray for the peace in Jerusalem. 
And God, that's what we pray. Because this will not end until you sovereignly somehow step in. But God, you have orchestrated history. You've orchestrated the future. And as your followers, we say your will be done on earth as you've already mapped it out in heaven. For it's in your name we ask all these things, Jesus. Amen.